Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio. We are going to be uh, a little shorthanded tonight. It's going to be the dynamic duo instead of the three amigos. I'm your host, Drew DeArmond. Of course, coming here live on this December the 23rd, just two days before Christmas. Uh, you know, the show's a little bit later this week, a lot going on. Uh, you know, Christmas uh, for everyone. I know it's going to be different this year with COVID-19. certainly is for myself and my family. And uh, we hope everyone's staying safe out there. And We're going to try to bring you another great episode of BAMS Radio. Not going to have William Redfish Barger with us today, but certainly we uh, we hope to have him with us uh, this weekend to, uh, to preview the coming attraction, which is, of course, the national semifinal against Notre Dame as Alabama has advanced unbeaten into the college football playoff. And, of course, uh, that that game will be played uh, on Friday, January the 1st. We'll have a wrap-up show uh, also after uh, the, uh, the uh, hopeful, uh, hopefully an Alabama win, a resounding win, to get back to the national championship game on January the 11th. But you may hear from us a couple of times this week as we try to bring you William Redfish Barger and myself and Thomas Watts to preview Notre Dame in a few days. And then, of course, to wrap that up before January the 11th uh, so the University of Alabama can hopefully be trying to win national title number 18. But first, we're going to wrap up the SEC championship game. And who better to do that with than, of course, the man behind the curtain in the port city of Mobile. That is Thomas the Wizard Watts, who always brings us interesting analysis and, of course, looks at the numbers as well. We'll probably even talk Heisman Trophy race as it's definitely going to have a crimson flavor. Uh, but Thomas, uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and uh, welcome to BAMS Radio tonight. How are you? Pretty good, Drew. It's unfortunate that William was precluded from being with us, but a lot of stuff to talk about. Really looking forward to Christmas, and uh, I- I'm count me in the camp that the SEC Championship – that some of the struggles that we saw on the defensive side in the second half don't necessarily translate to Notre Dame or a potential matchup with Clemson or Ohio State. Well, I, you know, certainly after seeing Florida and I'd seen them, uh, you know, up close, but not playing before they played Alabama. And then after they played Alabama and, and I do think their quarterback and receivers and especially their tight end, they're unique players and, I don't think Alabama will see a group as explosive as that one. Definitely not from Notre Dame. Uh, and definitely not, uh, you know, I, I don't think, even more, even with uh, Clemson, I know Clemson's been explosive in the past. They still are, you know, with Travis Etienne and Amari Rogers to a degree, but I don't think they're quite as explosive without Justin Ross and some of the other receivers we've seen in the past, including pain in the ass on a Renfro. Uh, so certainly, I don't think Clemson's receivers are quite as good this year So as these Gator guys, and of course Ohio State, whatever rule they make up so they can have an advantage with the Big Ten uh, and the rest of the liberal morons. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll come up with some kind of stipulation and they'll change their rules to get even more players eligible for this game. Uh, but again, I, I haven't been that impressed with the Ohio State. I think Justin Fields is overrated. I think Clemson is going to bust their head. At least I hope that's what happened is, happens all as well. 
I mean, certainly it's only about a seven point spread, but I think, you know, Clemson came back from 16 to nothing down to beat them last year. I don't think Fields has been as good this season. I don't think they're as explosive. I definitely don't think they're as good on defense. So Ohio State's talented, but I think Clemson's a better football team. And I think Clemson's going to soundly whip them. And I hope they do, because honestly, I know the players and coaches wanted to play, but I'm sick and tired of the Big Ten leadership. And, you know, they tried to kill college football this year. Then they came crawling back. They they didn't play the full schedule like they should have. And they've done nothing but try to circumvent the rules and be a bunch of, you know, Democrats, basically, and uh, to fit their own agenda. So I'm really going to be a big Clemson fan because I'd like Alabama to get another shot at Trevor Lawrence anyway. But again, so we'll see what happens in the playoff. But Alabama, first of all, has got to get by a Notre Dame team that's better than they were in 2012 when Alabama eviscerated them for the national title. But still, Alabama should have a speed advantage offensively and defensively and really special teams. Now, I will say this on our show tonight, Thomas, and uh, it's not really breaking news. It shouldn't shock anyone. There has been some talk that Jalen Waddle might play in the playoff. I got more optimistic because of some rehab video I saw. And then, of course, he's been walking around with no crutches. But I've been told this week, and we'll see if it changes, not to expect him back for either playoff game, which is a little disappointing. But it's really... When you, if you hear if that's the case, shouldn't be a shock with the injury he suffered. Alabama has learned to play without Jalen Waddle, and now one of the big things Thomas they're going to have to do is is learn how to play with with their emotional leader. Their emotional leader is out for the playoff as well with a knee injury with ligament damage, and that's Landon Dickerson who was hurt in the final quarter against the uh, against uh, Florida. So they've got to you know bounce back from that. He's a huge part of what they do, the best graduate transfer Alabama's ever had. But certainly, uh, I know that uh, Chris Owens has started games at center in the pivot before. It's going to be interesting to see how he plays this time or if they go with some Darian Dalcourt and have a rotation and have Owens continue to rotate and tackle. We'll see. But certainly, a big loss, Thomas, losing Landon Dickerson in the pivot. Well, and that loss, it, it was one of those things where – I really kind of had to circle the wagons and figure out what it means because part of what Alabama's makes Alabama's offense go is the fact that Alabama's offensive line is elite everywhere. I, I, I think you could have a discussion after the season about whether this offensive line is as good or better than the 2012 offensive line. I really think they're that good. And having said that, you have a situation where now as the games really, really matter, you know, you, you, you want your best group in, you're going to have a different piece, a different component. So it's, it's going to be an issue. And I can tell you the, you know, once we get through the Christmas weekend, the big thing I'm going to be asking questions of like sending out text messages, how's the offensive line look, how's the offensive line look? Because that's really, the engine here for this offensive line gives Mac Jones time, opens up holes for Najee Harris, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be huge. Owens got, you know, overwhelmed a little bit last year, but, uh, you know, he's now got a year's more experience. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to hold point in, in the pivot and uh, Alabama will still be able to have a great offensive line because you wouldn't, it wouldn't affect anyone else's position as far as, you would have Emil Lecky or at right guard. You would have uh, Cornbread Brown, Deontay Brown, 
uh, at left guard, and then the two tackles, Evan Neal at right tackle, and then, of course, Alex Leatherwood at left. So you would still have a really good O-line, and uh, I still think they're going to win the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in America. The other two finalists are Texas A&M and this Notre Dame team, but I still think Chris Owens can do this on the short term, and uh, and I think we're going to see him step it up. If not, then hopefully Dalcourt uh, will be ready, no doubt about it. And uh, uh, but uh, and Seth McLaughlin, McLaughlin's actually looked good in spot duty at center, but Alabama, I know, uh, is still very confident. And and really, Thomas, when you go back and think about it, when Alabama's won two other national titles. Uh, you know, uh, one in 2011 and one in 2017. They had uh, they had uh, fifth-year seniors step up and start along the offensive line in those games. In 2011, it was Alfred McCullough of Athens, uh, who was the, the master of just about every position, and uh, certainly they mastered LSU 21 nothing. And then uh, you've got uh, as far as uh, 2017, J.C. Hassenauer started at guard. And now he's even starting games for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Thomas. So he's really developed in the pros. So we'll see what Chris Owens can do, no doubt about it. And also Alabama might use Kendall Randolph as an extra t- blocking tight end uh, to, uh, to also give them a physical presence outside and uh, help with the pass protection. But I, I think Alabama's still solid because they've got a lethal weapon three. I mean, they've got three guys that are superstars, and they all played like them against Florida. And that is the incomparable Najee Harris, who should be the favorite uh, for uh, the running back of the year, the Doak Walker Award. He's certainly one of the three finalists, uh, along with uh, Travis Etienne, which no one should be shocked by. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they announced those three uh, the, the finalists, the other one being from Iowa State. So I think Najee's the heavy favorite, though, because when you think about the performance he had the other day, MVP of the SEC Championship game, Thomas, uh, five touchdowns, three receiving when he had, you know, five catches for 67 yards and three touchdowns. And then he comes together with 31 carries, 178 and two TDs. It couldn't have come much better than that, uh, Thomas. He was a man among boys and has really developed into a, a force at receiver and probably the most well-rounded running back in college football. Oh, Alabama doesn't win the uh, game on this past Saturday without Najee Harris. Uh, the Doak Walker. See, I feel like this award season, because the different number of games has happened, we're going to get some lifetime achievement awards. And Travis Etienne's a great player, but Najee Harris and Brees Hall, I think that's how you pronounce his first name, have been otherworldly throughout the year. You know, Najee Harris's stinker was – in a game that didn't, you know, Alabama won comfortably. And I think it was still yeah. almost a 100-yard game. Whereas Travis Etienne did functionally nothing in the first Notre Dame game. So I, I feel like it's very easy to say Etienne deserves it, and I've heard that chatter. But Najee Harris was unbelievable this past Saturday. And you're going to ask me about the Heisman Trophy at some point here. But everyone's saying, oh, Kyle Trask stats, Kyle Trask stats, Kyle Trask stats. (coughs) Well, Najee Harris vacuumed up the most rushing touchdowns of anybody in the country away from Mac Jones. And that's okay. 
I mean, Mac Jones would rather have a ring than the Heisman Trophy. But spare me this this craziness about Kyle Trask's stats are so much better. I mean, Kyle Trask would put up roughly similar numbers to Mac Jones if he was in the Mac Jones offense because they're both pinpoint passers. It's just Kyle Trask doesn't have a very draftable, high draft pick running back taking touchdowns and taking yards away from him, Drew. Yeah, I agree. I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, uh, this is a special offense. And, you know, Mac Jones, what he did, any other time it would wrap up the Heisman Trophy. I mean, when you set records for uh, completions, uh, you know, with 33, for, with yards, with 418, second all-time in touchdown passes, he had five. The great Danny Werfel had six. So Mac was amazing, but again, he just he had uh, so many great moments in the contest. But as we said, uh, he, he's getting overshadowed a little bit by six, who Devonte Smith, who's the best player in America, Devonte an SEC championship game record, 15 catches, second most yards ever, 184 and two touchdowns. So it's almost like Lethal Weapon three and. If you if some Alabama fans are worried, they're all going to split the votes and Trevor Lawrence is going to win. There's about as much chance of that happening as me being at Brian Harson's uh, press conference. It's not going to happen. I was. I'm not Oof. going to be. What a uh, disaster! At, at, I, you know, I was not going to be at his press conference. Certainly not. Uh, you know, Brian Harson, and we'll talk about that. The new coach at Auburn. Good luck to him. He's definitely going to need it. Uh, it's an interesting fit. But again, I was me picking up Brian Harson at the airport or being at his press conference is more likely than Trevor Lawrence winning the Heisman Trophy. You just have to look at the stats. I, I rip Paul Feinbaum because I he's you know he's been good. There are a lot of people in the business. He's been in the business a long time. But to come out the next day like on Sunday and say Trevor Lawrence should win the Heisman was an asinine take because that's just pathetic. You have to what you have to do is you have to compare the two leagues. You can't compare the ACC and the SEC. The ACC is still a top-heavy toilet. And Notre Dame, here's what I was very complimentary of them when they won in double overtime, but let me, let's understand something. Clemson had Trevor back, but it wasn't really about that. It was about having the defenders back. And Notre Dame is who I thought they were, slow and overrated, okay, because they got smashed. They scored some meaningless late touchdown. Their asses shouldn't even be in the playoff. It should be a 9-1 and Texas A&M team if they'd have been able to play Ole Miss. And like I said, A&M, they have not looked great at times, but still 9-1 and in the SEC. They would, I, I don't think they would have laid an egg against Ole Miss, and they certainly wouldn't have lost and got as physically manhandled as Notre Dame did you know, against uh, Clemson. Now, I know Notre Dame will be fired up to play Alabama, but everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And so, to me, this Alabama team is so balanced. Steve Sarkeesian is an outstanding offensive coordinator who calls out an outstanding game and stays patient with the run. And when you've got Najee Harris, you know, 242 all-purpose yards, MVP of the SEC championship game, and then you've got Devontae Smith, who nobody can seemingly slow down, and then Mac Jones, who continues to distribute the ball, but my goodness, I just think this Alabama offense is going to be hard to stop. You continue to see Jaleel Billingsley's role uh, expand. Uh, and now, Thomas, I, I mean, I, I'm willing to take some of the royalties if Daniel Morrill give them to me 
but I think we saw the biggest play in the game on Saturday night was O Canada when John Mechie crushes Trey Dean after he steals the interception from Miller Forrestall, crushes him, gets the ball back, and the next down, and they need to put this in the painting as well, the, the, the top two Heisman candidates, in my opinion, in college football, hook up for a quick TD to get Alabama back up, you know, up two scores on uh, the Florida Gators. And I just thought that was a maybe the biggest play in the game in terms of events. Great hustle by Mechie. And you see, beyond a shadow of a doubt, why he's the best blocker of the wide receivers. Well, it's a sudden change play. And sudden change plays have outsized effects on games. I mean, in the span of two plays, you go from Florida, who wasn't great in the first half, but wasn't awful, with the ball, gaining momentum into the second half, which we saw the second half what happened anyway. You go from that scenario, because trading makes a great play, to Alabama scoring again, and really, at that point, felt like they were going to salt the game away. You know, Alabama continued to open up their lead, going at half 35-14. I know a lot of Alabama fans were just like, all right, well, we got this. You know, when do we get to C9? When's Bryce Young coming in to run this thing? And to Florida's credit, they made plays, came back, and made a game of it. But, yeah, that play was huge. Uh, I, I personally enjoyed the heck out of a lot of the memes that have come out of it. You know, the various pieces, the uh, the, the reptile dysfunction or whatever that – that poster that came out had me rolling earlier this week. So it was a huge play in the game. And, you know, it, it was really, to me, it was easily Alabama's most complete win. I am not on the train that Alabama fans need to be losing their minds over all of the nonsense that is uh, been going that with the defense. Florida's <coughs> a really, really good offense. A really, really good offense. Arguably – the best offense in college football, not named Alabama. And when you have elite talent on the offensive side of the football, it's going to beat elite talent on the defensive side of the football almost every time. You know, Kyle Pitts is a top 10 draft pick. Kadarius Toney's going to sniff the first round. The only reason he isn't a shoe-in first rounder is because Devontae Smith's coming out. Jamar Chase is coming out. Uh, Jalen Waddle's coming out, and then Tony's going to be in that top four mix. But you know that's the kind of stuff that Alabama had to contend with, and you know they they got it done. So I really I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Yeah, it was stressful, and yeah, there will be some things that the coaching staff will want to clean up. But if Alabama fans want to take solace in what they saw, in most cases it wasn't. Kyle Trask throwing to a wide-open Kadarius Toney or a wide-open Kyle Pitts or a wide-open Trevon Grimes. There was an Alabama player there to make a play. They just didn't quite make it, which that's just football. That happens. You know, and here's the thing. If you're willing to accept that the play didn't get made, that means it's perfectly okay to accept something like John Mechie just making a play. Because, you know, like you said, Drew, John Mechie decleating was a momentum-shifting play. And, yeah, it'll be in Crimson Tide lore for forever. You'll see well, that'll, that'll be one of the, uh, the hype video openers for the next 20 years. But, you know, that, that's, that's what happens in football. So, I mean, overall, great play, great game. Frankly, I'm glad to get out of it because 
you have to feel pretty good about what's coming next. But we'll talk about that in the next show. Well, yeah, and but I will say I, I thought that, uh, you know, I gave the defense a B minus. There was a lot of people ripping them, giving them worse than that because they gave up 46. But there was some bad luck there. You know, the Gators had some horseshoes up their ass, you know, with how some things fell. Because when you look at it, Mo, Larry, Curly, and Shemp obviously were officiating uh, when they uh, reviewed the fumble on the goal line by Kadarius Toney, uh, you know, because that was a fumble. That should have been, uh, you know, a fumble and given to Sertain at the one-yard line for Alabama. But Florida was able to keep that uh, football and score. And then, inexplicably, somehow, you know, Alabama forces a fumble and you've got four or five guys around the ball, including the, the magnet, Malachi Moore, and a Gator comes out of that pile with it. Somehow, some way, they didn't recover that fumble. Christian Barnmore also stripped the back, and they didn't recover that. And so, and then, as we said before, the brain fart by Josh Joe, who's had a great year. You know, I had a, on my show earlier this week, I had somebody say that they thought Job was awful. And I basically told them to go have cataract surgery because you're not, you don't understand what you're watching because Job has been mil, a million miles better than last year. Now he had, but he did have one of his biggest brain farts, if not the biggest of the season when he lined up offsides on the goal line. And that uh, basically negated an Alabama fumble recovery because they submarine Kyle Trask. That can't happen Thomas in a, in a college football playoff semifinal or final. You can't make errors like that and cost your team a possession because if Alabama, of those scenarios I just told you, if Alabama gets a turnover on a couple of those, the game is completely changed. And I think Alabama wins the game by multiple touchdowns and probably covers the spread. But the problem is Alabama didn't get those turnovers. So the body of work didn't look as good for Pete Golding. And again, not not a huge Golding guy still, but I think the defense played a little bit better than the numbers would uh, would tell you. I, I would absolutely agree with that. And yes, there were missed turnovers, and, and the Job thing was inexcusable. But at the same time, you know, Job being terrible. Oh, get out of here, man! Like the reason Josh Job looks terrible is because Pat Sertan. You almost don't want to throw to him. The the Trevon Grimes touchdown over Sertan was easily the weirdest play of the night for me because that's something that you haven't seen him do. But, again, it's football. Sometimes you make boneheaded plays or the officials reverse a call that they shouldn't reverse or something. Alabama persevered on defense. And, again, they gave up 460-some-odd yards to a a Florida offense that – had been just killing people left, right, and center for periods in a game. I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not been out of shape about it. I'm really not. Is there stuff that Alabama can improve on? Absolutely. But I, I don't think that it's going to magically lose Alabama the national title because, again, every time Florida got close, the Alabama offense could make a play to keep it clear or to kill the clock or to do something like that. And that's not a bad spot to be in. You know, what, what's your game plan? Oh, well, we'll throw to six. Oh, well, six is quadruple covered. Oh, well, we'll throw to 22 out of the backfield. 
He can go get a first down. All right, sweet. You know, Mac Jones averaged almost a first down the entire game, 33 of 43 for 418, a 9.7-yard average. That's what you need to do in today's college football. Does it drive me crazy because I'm a defensive guy? Yes. Is there stuff that I wish they would change so that this imbalance wasn't as bad as it is right now? Absolutely. I wish they would talk about rule changes. But we can. two things can be true at the same time. The rules suck and need to get changed, but in order to compete at the highest level, you have to take advantage of the rules. And that's what Alabama did against Florida. It's what they're going to have to do against <coughs> Notre Dame and against either Clemson or Ohio State. And I, I want to go back to something you said, and I know I'm bouncing around, so please just bear with me. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. We cannot reward teams who don't go out on the field week in and week out. We can't do it. And there is no better example of why we can't do it than the injury to Landon Dickerson. It was a very common storyline before this football game that if Alabama were to just forfeit the SEC championship, they'd get into the playoff anyway because they were so dominant. So the SEC championship, for the purpose of the college football playoff, was meaningless. It was, I'm not saying it meant nothing to the players because it obviously did. Their reactions, them being in the game, et cetera, et cetera. But for the purpose of the playoff, it was meaningless. Now, I'm an Alabama fan. I'm biased here. But if you had told me that Alabama could skip this game and keep Landon Dickerson and still be able to play for the ultimate prize – I take that once a day and twice on Sunday. So the Ohio State discussion is, it to me, it's just crazy. I, I, I don't get it. I disagree with it. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what Ohio State team is going to show up against Clemson, but I hope Clemson just bombs that program. I mean, it's absolutely insane what we're talking about here. It's And the craziness has gone so far that people are now calling for the BCS, which – I 100% support because I'm a computer guy. But, you know, pick something and go with it, please. Stop acting like a bunch of, you know, high school sophomore girls. You got to have the, the, prettiest to, the prettiest top. Oh, then the top's boring, so we're going to change it. But let's go back to the top because now it's retro. It's like just pick something and go with it and fix it a little bit. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But anyway, I digress, Drew. Well, yeah, I mean, and I can understand that, no doubt. I don't understand some of the college football playoff decisions. I didn't understand Notre Dame. I, I don't really understand Ohio State either, but there's a dearth of options this year, certainly. Uh, you know, I feel bad for Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. They put together a great, you know, uh, season, no doubt about it. And, you know, but, uh, but we'll see, you know, what Ohio State te- team shows up. We'll see what Notre Dame team shows up. We'll talk about that more later. But, you know, just a remarkable season for this Alabama football team the first team to go 11 and 0 in SEC play and for only the second time Thomas Nick Saban named SEC coach of the year uh I, you know people thought about Sam Pittman people thought about Elijah Drinkwitz but they didn't finish as strong as Nick Saban's team did and Nick Saban's team has un, you know had to overcome the loss of Jalen Waddle for most of the season and now Landon Dickerson and you know the thing that I noticed after Landon got hurt, the team rallied around him. I think it may galvanize this team even more to win it for him. And certainly I thought 
uh, you know, Chris Owens performed well at center in his stead, and they finished the game strong against the Gators. And it gives you hope for, as we've said, going forward. The galvanizing effect could happen. We'll see, Drew. I really – the only concern is that you don't know. But at the same time, Nick Saban's going to do what he always does. He's going to control whatever he can control and get the team ready to rock and roll going forward. But it, it's just unfortunate. And I think he'll be remembered up there with Barrett Jones as one of the best centers Alabama's ever had. You know, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to get into the who's the best center at Alabama ever discussion. But he's certainly up there, and the guy's just wildly entertaining. I mean, uh, talk about a next level troll on the football field. <laughs> you know, I, I will miss when he decides to move on. That'll be one of my favorites from this from this you know this era of Alabama football, Drew. Well, yeah, Landon's you know again the best graduate transfer that uh, Alabama's ever had. LD's done a great job. He'd never played center before before he got here. That's why keeping you know Kyle Flood and Steve Sarkeesian, I think, is paramount to next season. Certainly, Steve Sarkeesian uh, received some interest for the Auburn job, but he didn't reciprocate it. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of rumors out there about the University of Texas, but I mean, you have to look at it. I mean, uh, they still have Tom Herman as coach. We're hearing the school president doesn't want Tom Herman, so he could be forced out after the bowl game. We'll see if Sarkeesian really gets that job because there's been some reports, you know, that he's already taken the job. Uh, and, you know, uh, but I, I find that kind of hard to believe. I do think he's being vetted, though. Uh, and so we'll see. Uh, but I think keeping Sark there, keeping him, uh, you know, uh, with Alabama for another year would be huge. I know Nick Saban's already discussed make it, making him, once again, the highest paid OC in the country, bumping him up to as high as $3.5 million per year. So uh, we'll see if that really happens. I don't think Sark wanted the Auburn job because of uh, the, a lot of things going on around it. I mean, the rumor was he wanted $6 million per year and a 75% buyout. I can't imagine Auburn doing that. And we saw Auburn hire Brian Harson. Uh, from uh, Boise State University. Uh, he had a good run there, uh, seven years, you know, kept him really, uh, you know, competitive. But there's already a special culture built there by Chris Peterson, who went on to Washington and get to the college football playoff. Harson had some initial big-time success at Boise, but then couldn't get them back to those national bowl games. Going to be really interested to see how he does with the Auburn Tigers, Thomas, because I think Auburn wanted to make a bigger splash uh, with this hire, but they weren't able to. This guy didn't have a lot of ties to the South, so is he going to keep some of those Auburn guys on the coaching staff, like a Rodney Garner, uh, like a Cody Burns, like a Cadillac Williams, or a Travis Williams? And uh, so we'll see. But uh, once again, uh, you know, Auburn, uh, I think they, they, they ought to learn from Alabama's mistakes, you know, back in the, uh, in the, in the late 80s all the way through uh, the 90s when Alabama couldn't get out of their own way and they wouldn't hire one voice to be the football coach. That's the only way you can win championships because I think Auburn's had too many cooks in the kitchen. But really interested to see how Harson does because uh, Thomas, I know there's a spin out there that he was you know, on the original list or they, they didn't offer the job to many people. Give me a break, cry me a river. It took a while for Auburn to find the right guy, but Certainly, it looks like Alan Green did that. So, 
Uh, he better hope Brian Harson does really well because if he does, both of them will quickly become very popular at Auburn. But if it doesn't work within a couple of years, we know what could happen on the flip side. Well, so I was not a big fan of getting rid of Gus Malzahn right now just because I think there's something to be said that the program was getting stale. I think that it's fair to be frustrated with it. But in a COVID year, I didn't think there would be a lot of shifting, so you would really have trouble getting a guy to come in and run your program. And that's borne itself out, Drew. I'll be honest, I think Brian Harson's a disaster hire for Auburn. I really do. And Auburn has no one to thank but themselves because you have a bunch of guys on the board of trustees that are legitimately excellent businessmen. They are. Businessmen and women, excuse me. And they have made more money than God in their business. And that's excellent and great, and you support the Auburn Tigers and the Auburn University and blah, 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 blah. I don't really care beyond that. But just because you are a successful businessman does not mean you know the first damn thing about running a football program at an elite level. The two are not necessarily the same, and they want a medal. They think they know better. They know more football than the football coach that they hired to coach football. And I don't see that changing. And, and you know, you pull up Brian Harson's curriculum vita and his previous stops. And I pulled it off. I looked at it, and I'm like, so wait a minute. This guy who has functionally no attachment, no relationships with high school coaches is going to come into a program that's going to have to transition away from the Gus Malzahn power option spread to something a little bit different. And that means recruiting differently. This guy is going to walk into living rooms going nose to nose with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt if he's retained, and if he goes over to Louisiana, Ed Orgeron, and if he goes into Florida, he's going to see Dan Mullen, he might see Manny Diaz, he might see Mike Norvell. I, I just don't see it. I, I, I know everyone's like, oh, this is an 8 out of 10 higher. N no, it isn't. Absolutely. It's absolutely not. This is one of those things where the ceiling is an occasional 10 wins, or the floor, yeah, the ceiling, excuse me, is an occasional 10-win season, and the floor during transition could be a four-win campaign with Alabama just walloping them in the Iron Bowl. So I don't get it. I, I think Auburn got what they deserved because of how they wanted to meddle, and now they're stuck with themselves. Like They're stuck with this, this nightmare scenario. So I don't think – we're seeing a changing of the guard, Drew, in terms of the SEC West. Auburn's going to be down – a&M will slot there. I think now the game really is going to be who follows Alabama at two. Is it going to be a retooled LSU Tigers team as they blow up half their staff? Or is it going to be a Texas A&M with Auburn kind of battling Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach and maybe a resurgent Arkansas for that bottom half of the division, uh, the bottom half of the SEC West, Drew? Well, and that just goes to show you that's why I think the SEC is the best league in the country because I, and why I thought A&M should have been in the playoff because of, of the strength of the conference. There's no doubt about it. 
the ACC is still really weak, uh, no question. Uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, that, that honestly, uh, the, uh, it, when you look at the rest of college football, Big 12, Oklahoma finished strong. Iowa State was good. But they still uh, they, they had that horrible beginning against the Sun Belt. You can't overlook it. Uh, so I didn't think their league was very good, honestly. And so, uh, you know, I, I really believe that, that, that this all-SEC schedule really helped Alabama, even though it was, a, you know, very difficult. Uh, but I think, you know, when you look at it, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they didn't even really want to play. And I think Ohio State could get exposed. I think Clemson's really talented, but they weren't challenged like Alabama, uh, you know, uh, during the season. So that could, uh, I think, really pay some dividends. I think, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is a, is a play caller and an offensive coordinator. This this is this offense, Thomas, this has been one of my, probably my most fun Alabama team to watch. And would have been even more fun with a healthy Jalen Waddle the whole way. But even without him, you see the greatness of Six and Devontae Smith and that piggybacks into the Heisman. You know, we haven't had a wide receiver win the Heisman Trophy since the great Desmond Howard in 1991, and he was great. I mean, he, he, he won it the year that David Palmer was a freshman at Alabama. They were similar players in many ways. But Desmond was so exciting. Uh, you know, he had the huge punt return against Ohio State. But when you look, I know you probably saw that graphic with the numbers where it compared them with Devontae Smith and, and Desmond Howard, and it shows the greatness of Smitty. When he's played one less game, but he has about 400 more, uh, you know, all-purpose yards than Desmond. You know, they both have the punt return touchdown. I thought the one against Arkansas was huge for Devontae to show another way to score uh, and, and, and contribute in a different way for Alabama. And then you look at it, you know, 98 catches, 1,500 receiving yards. Uh, Desmond uh, had three more touchdowns uh, in, in 12 games, but still Devontae, uh, every other number is in his favor. And I know Mac Jones has been tremendous. But right now, Thomas, my Heisman ballot would read as follows. I would vote for Devontae. I don't have a vote. But I would vote for him first, Mac Jones in a very close second. Uh, then I would have Trevor Lawrence third, uh, Najee Harris fourth, and Kyle Trask fifth. So if I'm doing Heisman stuff, I agree with you that Devontae Smith's number one. And I would put Mac Jones too, but I don't understand the love fest with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is legitimately an excellent quarterback. He's going to be the top pick in the draft, and he has a good chance, depending on if the if the Jets can ever get out of their way or the Jags can get out of their way, to light the NFL on fire with his arm talent. But he missed two games, and again, I just went through these. This is why. Playing games matters. So I, I don't – you know, I thought the Trevor Lawrence Heisman push uh, this past Sunday was a joke. I thought it was let's generate some controversy because we can't have three Alabama players in the top three. But honestly, if I was voting, it w I would have to decide between Najee Harris and Kyle Trask at three, and I'd put Trevor Lawrence at a distant fifth. I just – I'm sorry. I think we need – to fundamentally change our understanding of how much wear and tear is put on a football team to play an extra game or two and how big a deal it is for a player to miss a couple of games and not have to go through that. 
Now, he got COVID, and that's unfortunate. And I feel sorry for the young man. But, you know, the only, th the only thing, when you talk about fairs, a fair is a place you go to see a fat pig get a blue ribbon. It has no bearing elsewhere on how we deal with ourselves and how we approach situations. It sucks that he got COVID. It sucks that he missed two games. But that's how the cookie crumbles. I promise if you win a national championship or if you're the number one overall draft pick, as it appears, you'll find some solace in crying your way all the way to the bank. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, look, Trevor Lawrence is just going to have to accept the fact that Tua Tungo-Vailoa didn't win the Heisman either, and he was a great player. An injury directly cost him that against Georgia, and now COVID may have may have cost Trevor Lawrence. So cry me a river. He's still going to get a chance to try to win a national title. Hopefully Alabama or so, or another football team is going to stop that, and, so, and, and hopefully it'll be the Crimson Tide because I want them to put Clemson back in their place and where Trevor only wins one national title just like uh, to a tongue by low. I think Trevor's a great player and a good person. Don't get me wrong. ATN's a very good player as well. But I think this Alabama football team's on a mission. Even with Pete Golding, I mean, I think this defense has improved. I think they've got a good pass rush. You can argue they got the best set of outside linebackers uh, in the uh, country and Will Anderson. I mean, Thomas, where's the, where's the uh, consternation about Will Anderson now? Leads the SEC in pressures and in sacks and yet the genius coaches don't vote him first team. How is that possible? Well, he only came on in the back half of the year. and When the games are the biggest. I, I know. I know. I agree. I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you why. And I was about, uh, I was about to say, and the, the storyline of, well, Alabama's defense played some really bad offenses. And oh, it's, this, this is one of those things that really drives me insane. When it, when, you, when it comes to talking about any elite football team, particularly on defense, it doesn't really matter if Alabama holds a team to 150 yards or 100 yards. What matters is, does Alabama hold them to 150 yards when they're averaging 250? Or does Alabama generate – 12 tackles for loss when the team, as a team that they're playing, gives up four. That's what matters. That's the context that matters when you're trying to evaluate the Alabama defense as it goes through a season. And it's absolutely unassailable. The point is, is, is you can't attack it. Will Anderson has turned into an absolute monster off the edge. The development of Will Anderson and Chris Allen – suddenly turning into a fantastically good edge player has been a big reason for the Alabama defense being as good as it is. And, you know, it, it, it's real hard for a quarterback to throw when he's on his backside. It, it's really hard to do that legally. And we've seen that from Anderson. And really, Bar you know, we talked about this last week, Christian Barmore has been coming along. But, yeah, Will Anderson not being on an SEC team – I don't understand it. Uh, I would honestly have to see a play distribution to try and justify that. And even then, it'd be a really, really hard statistical case to make, Drew. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. 
But, I, you know, and then, of course, Will Reichert, he's perfect kicking, and he doesn't make first or second team all SEC. And don't give me this bullshit that he's only attempted 12 field goals. He's perfect for crying out loud. Some of them from, you know, one of them from 52 yards. The biggest kick of the year. I don't think people still understand how big that kick was at the end of the Kirby Freeze. I mean, smart beat down in Tuscaloosa to cut the lead, uh, you know, to, 20, to, to four points, 24 to 20, and then to have Alabama mud hole Georgia in the second half. Okay, I'll, all you're hearing now is, well, Georgia's the best team with two losses because they've got JT Daniels. 1-800-1980. Don't lose your Herschel Walker DVDs. Okay, that's it's always next year. These dudes are like the Cubs. It's always, well, we're the best now. We're the best now. Blah, blah, blah. When they choked against Alabama and they choked against Florida. Okay, let's not misunderstand that. So, uh, you know, the, but the thing is, I think Will Rockett's a heck of a kicker. And hopefully that the special teams being stronger, even without. Think about this, Thomas. This is the greatness of Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith was the third-string punt returner. Yep. Yep. You're right. No, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's nothing else to say. You know, how stacked is Alabama? That stacked is Alabama. And, and just to circle back to Georgia real quick, I love how everybody's forgotten that JT Daniels was a statue at USC. He's coming off a reconstructed knee to play at Georgia. And how many hits has he really taken? Like, how much pressure has he been under playing Mississippi State, Missouri, and I don't remember who else, but not exactly the teams in the SEC that you're just terrified of their pass rush. So, so, so let's slow our roll until JT Daniels deals with a Will Anderson-led pass rush. That's, that's all I'll say on that subject. Yeah, no doubt about it. But to go back you know, to the SEC championship game, it was a real gut check for Alabama. You know, they took the Gators' best shot. Uh, Florida was fortunate that they didn't have more turnovers, but when you give an offense like that, more, uh, you know, second chances, they're going to be deadly. I think, you know, certainly Trask, there's some Gator fans that are bitter that he's not first-team All-SEC by the coaches, that he's not a hot, uh, you know, Heisman favorite anymore. But look, I mean, he had great stats, but he lost, uh, you know, uh, the uh, three times. So you have to take that into account. But he had one hell of a year. The Gators are a great offense. Mullen's got to learn to control himself. They almost decided to riot with one of his guys. But he ran on the field again in 17, you know, had jumped on Landon Dickerson after LD had already been hurt. But still, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a Bush League play. But again, Mullen, I, he's not an elite coach to me yet. He's just good. I mean, he's a good offensive mind, good quarterback coach. But he's 0-10 against Nick Saban. And I just thought this, oh, this Alabama team really responded. And Nick Saban said as much after the game. He said, I wanted to know. I was a little bit worried how he would respond in a dogfight. But they responded just with, you know, outstanding. And when you look at the performances of the big three, we've already talked about the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I think Alabama's going to win their third trophy. The boats are, I think, uh, just about ready to be tallied. They, I, I think uh, maybe tomorrow is the deadline. So, uh, the, and then they'll announce the finalists. So we'll see who's there. But I think Alabama's got a chance to win their third Heisman Trophy. And then they have they uh, they we'll, we'll break down Notre Dame uh, in, in a few days. But I think it's a, a advantageous matchup. 
But really, I thought uh, Alabama responded well. Now they just got to clean a few things up on uh, on uh, defense. But, you know, I really think this team is driven. And I think Landon Dickerson's injury could be another rallying point for this team to dedicate the rest of the season to him and Jalen Waddle. And if they can win the national championship, Thomas, without those two young guys uh, in the in, in the last two games, it shows just how good this football team really is. And if you go 13-0 and against this schedule and win it all, they're one of the best teams ever. I look forward to being able to adjudicate that uh, on January the 12th or or whenever we have a show shortly thereafter, Drew. Uh, and it, it was, it, like I said before, it, I agree with it. It was a gut check game. And it, Alabama responded. And, and there are two more gut checks coming, hopefully. I do think your rallying cry point, well, you know, I said this before, but I'm going to say it again, is well said. Because you can't ignore that two of the three-headed monster in Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, came back. Najee Harris probably would have been a day two, maybe an early day three pick, depending on how he tested. I don't really want to. I don't really want to read those tea leaves. Uh, Devontae Smith would have been a, at worst, a day two pick, and he might have been a first rounder last year. They came back. They came back, and they're some of the leaders on this football team. Alex Leatherwood came back. He's a leader on this football team. I don't want to say that those guys won't allow Alabama to lose but I will say that the the core leadership on this football team it's going to take a lot of beating to beat this Alabama team this year Drew and that's a pretty good spot to be in with hopefully two games left yeah no doubt and uh you know and uh, we can uh, talk about this too and that's uh uh recruiting uh, you know, with what a great season this has been for the University of Alabama, uh, you know, it, the recruiting went just just as well uh, in, in uh, you know, uh, and uh, it, they, they, they signed the number one class in the country uh, and they and they were able to get a couple of huge flips on signing day uh, that ensured that uh, Keanu Coot uh, from, of course, Florida. Uh, you know, from uh, from Ven- uh, from Venice, Florida, he's an outstanding pass rusher. His senior film is just off the charts. South Sanceri deserves a lot of credit for that. And then we've talked about the loss of Jalen Water, but what uh, how fun it was to watch him for two and a half years. His replacement flip from LSU. So let's just say that Nick Saban has sent a message to Ed Ogeron on the field by whipping their ass in Baton Rouge. And then by whipping their ass in recruiting, because he got JoJo Earl to flip to Alabama and sign. JoJo Earl had three touchdowns, including, I think, a long punt return for a TD of about 80 yards last week in the high school football playoffs for Alito. He's Jason McClellan's former teammate, and he is an electric performer. And so Alabama is, and they're not done. I mean, even tonight, as we're recording this, they're in the mix heavily for Kamar Wheaton. Uh, from Garland, Texas. So he's the number one running back in the country. He could potentially choose Alabama over Oklahoma. There was a thought that Alabama might not take a running back, but I don't think they would turn down a kid of this caliber, especially due to the fact that Trey Smith, excuse me, Trey Sanders, pardon me, Trey Sanders' injuries from that car accident, and then also Keelan Robinson opting out. So he's an outstanding performer with great speed. 
We'll see if if Alabama were to add him, Thomas, that would be seven five stars in one class. And if they got Terry and Arnold and potentially a Jaden Roberts, they might set a record for the best recruiting class, most highly rated of all time. They certainly look like they're going to outdistance Ohio State and have the ninth number one class in 11 years. So it's been a great year for Alabama. They're restocking the cupboard. Now I know they want to try to hold on to Steve Sarkeesian uh, for at least one more year to rebuild this offense. And Kyle Flood, no doubt about that. They've both done a great job. That's what we're going to have to monitor going forward. But again, what a, a season so far for Alabama. They, you know, I, I believe they, 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 this is the, they've scored 50 points six times. I think they got a chance to score 50 against Notre Dame, and I'm not disrespecting the Irish, but I've seen them play, and I think Alabama's going to have the speed advantage. We'll talk more about that later. But again, this, this team is just a special one. I think they've been able to overcome adversity. I think they can smell the end of the road, and I think this team is very driven, and they know what they've been through to get here with this COVID-19. It's certainly a serious situation, but Alabama win their 28th SEC championship against a, a Florida team. Let's be honest, Todd. I think Florida, if they had focused and worked on LSU instead of working on Alabama like they should have, and if they had finished against Texas A&M, Losing like they did to Alabama, they would have been in the playoff. I think they're probably one of the top four teams, but they just didn't handle business properly as far as talent goes and with their offense. But, you know, if you're Alabama also, now you don't have to see them again. I think you. I think they still – Alabama has an outstanding chance to, to win a national title and be the best team in the country. But it's been awesome to watch this team and this coaching staff develop and battle. And uh, I just want to see them finish – uh, you know, I, it's been great to see the defense improve, but really this offense is what's defined this team. And I know they lost another key member in Landon Dickerson, but just don't forget what Alfred McCullough did in 2011, starting along that front against LSU in a national championship game, and what J.C. Hassenauer did. Both those guys, uh, you know, Hassenauer now with the Steelers, both of them stepped up and 2011 and 2017 to help Alabama still win a national title. Hopefully Chris Owens can do the same thing, but they've got to beat Notre Dame first. But still, what a special season so far for Alabama and one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. You know, and all the all the craziness with COVID, the weird cancellations, we can you can rack up the number of uh, the, the number of weird oddities that have happened this season. And this, it's been, this team's been a blast to watch. And it'll be, hopefully it'll be a blast to watch two more times. And just to circle back real quick with Ed Orgeron, uh, his players did him no favors by streaming his postgame rant in the locker room. Didn't help the program very much. Having said that, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So... You know, here we go. One, two, two more games. Well, hopefully so. And like I said, it was. I think they got it right in the SEC championship game, giving Najee the MVP. I made this statement as I tweeted it, Thomas. I think Najee is the greatest receiving running back in Alabama history. He has nearly 1,300 rushing yards, but he has also got over 300 receiving. That was his first three receiving touchdowns. But he's just such a matchup nightmare because he has such great hands and body control, and, and can and it's just a mismatch when a linebacker's on him. You know he does a, he does a great job protecting the ball. 
Sarkeesian. I love the way he calls the game because he stays patient with the run. Then you've got <coughs> Mac Jones, who he said, I mean, I knew I thought he was being undervalued, but he's just been so unbelievable with the year he's had. And now we see the greatness of Devontae Smith, who is pound for pound, maybe the greatest wide receiver in Alabama history. He's certainly money, and I expect him to be again in the NCAA playoff, you know, the, in the college football playoff. He's going to step it up. He's going to produce. So I just want this team, no more injuries, to stay healthy uh, and to finish this thing strong and certainly looking forward to it. And it was great to see them pull that game out uh, in the SEC championship game. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous during the gone sidekick because if the Gators had got it, they had enough time to try to win the game 53-52 when they hit the two-point conversion. But they kicked it to the wrong guy, Smitty's money, and they were able to, you know, nearly run the clock out. And I got to give Charlie Scott a lot of credit for that punt. That punt was outstanding. It pinned Florida deep. And when you get that sack, they didn't have a timeout where they could, you know, get another snap off. So it, it kind of reminded me of the end of the, of the Georgia game in 2012. So, and Alabama went on to win a national championship that year. Hopefully that's an omen to, that you have to, you know, have a gut check moment but win just like you did against Ole Miss. So hopefully uh, the things are going to continue to look up for Alabama and this preparation is going to go smoothly and we're going to see this team, as you said, play two more games. But, uh, you know, we just wanted to bring you an, a, 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 an SEC championship recap of the – uh, of BAMS radio. I, I, like I say, man, I, I, Najee deserved the MVP, but for me, it was a three, it was a three prong deal offensively. I'd have to give votes. I'd have to go with a three way dance for me. And I'm just talking about with, uh, with the big three of Mac Jones, uh, Devonte Smith and Najee Harris. And then defensively, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to Will Anderson. I mean, he had that big strip sack, now they didn't get a touchdown, but they got a field goal out of it and it quelled the momentum. And he's had seven sacks over the, as you talked about the second half of the season, Thomas, he's had an amazing freshman year. Uh, he's going to be a freshman, all American, his partner in crime, Chris Allen had an outstanding game, but I would go defensively with Will Anderson. Hopefully he can be that disruptive in the next, uh, in the college football playoff against Notre Dame. But again, you see a true freshman, and how good he's been. So this is an Alabama team that's playing <coughs> really good complimentary football, and I can't wait to see, you know, what, what the uh, playoff has in store. But I wanted to thank everybody, you know, for taking the time to listen to BAMS Radio. We love the support. I mean, we're going to have our comrade William Redfish Barger back, but we wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas, uh, and uh, you get the chance to spend some time with your family during this crazy time with COVID-19. For Thomas, the Wizard Watts, I'm Gertie Armand. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of BAMS Radio and this look back at a historic SEC championship, 52-46 to 46 win. Highest scoring SEC championship game in history when you saw Najee Harris, Mac Jones, and, of course, Devontae Smith with some help from John Mechie, who's probably going to be on a Daniel Moore painting, etching their names in history as Alabama is your 28th SEC champion. Good night, everybody. Merry Christmas and roll tide.